People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Harley Hauck is a learning architect, leadership development consultant, author, speaker, and serves as adjunct faculty at Stanford University and UC Berkeley Haas School of Business, teaching on the subject of leadership and business as a platform for positive change in the world. For the last decade, she has served hundreds of leaders in Fortune 100 companies and high-growth startups such as LinkedIn, Genentech, Pixar, Cliff Bar, and many others. In her best-selling book, Shine, Ignite Your Inner Game, to lead consciously at work and the world, Carly guides readers on a transformational inner-to-outer journey to inspire a new workplace and world that works for everyone and prioritizes people and planet first. So we have a lot to talk about today. Welcome, Carly, to HealthGig. Thank you so much. I feel delighted to be here. We are so excited you're on HealthGig, and we want to start by hearing a little bit about you and learning more about leading with wholeness. I started my company in 2010, so it's been a little over a decade now. The reason that it began was really because I felt this opportunity and inspiration to really support the men, women, and even just more, you know, non-binary folk that had positions of influence and power to really bring their whole and best selves to work, but also to shift business so that it could be a platform for positive change in the world. And I felt like the way that I could do that was through supporting leaders and companies. So tell us a little bit about the programs you offer and why they work. I have had the privilege and wonderful opportunity to work with lots of companies. LinkedIn was actually one of my first companies that I supported prior to them being IPO, in fact, when they were only 900 folks across from the Googleplex in Mountain View, California, and then gone on to support high growth startups like Asana when they were only 60 folks, and now they're much bigger and that was about six years ago, Pixar, Cliff Bar, you know, Genentech. And so I've been brought in for various different reasons, but, you know, often there's a reorg or there's a real need for a deeper foundation of resilience or psychological safety that is needed as the culture is forming and building. And so some of my signature services now that I've cultivated over time is, you know, really supporting unique training, which could be around inclusive leadership development and manager development. I do a lot around that. And I I like to think of it as conscious and inclusive leadership and manager development. And that's a real focus of the book. So we'll kind of dive into that later. I also, again, really work with supporting culture building, cultural transformation. So as we think about the pandemic and COVID, I feel like all companies are going through this huge shift, a reorg, so to speak, really understanding what really matters and what do we want to prioritize? And that requires a lot of shifting within the culture to support whatever the new mission, whatever the new strategy is. I also have been working 
in the last couple years around supporting ally skills at work. So I have this six-month ally journey that I developed and have worked with a few companies around to really help folks develop the skills to support more inclusion, belonging, justice, you know, brave exchanges, and making sure that everybody feels heard and seen and safe in the context of work. Those are some of um, the pieces that I support. And I also do a lot around, you know, supporting high-performing teams. And so a lot of folks will say that, but what I think is really important around that component is, again, psychological safety. If we don't have that safety and that foundation, then we aren't going to be able to feel like our team has our back. We won't iterate. We won't feel like we can speak up and challenge the status quo or a product or a launch. And I just think it's so important. I bring a lot of, I'd say, foundational pieces into all my work that really support folks to connect and get along and bring their best selves to work. Talk to us about the inner game and how you define the inner game. First, I'll just say, you know, the inner game, really, this concept kind of was developed in the 80s when they were talking about the inner game of tennis. And so I remember that really well. Yeah. So it (laughs) took off there, but I've always really enjoyed it because when I think about the inner game, it's really about having a set of tools and skills and qualities that enable us to really be this new paradigm of leadership and work. And so the inner game is really about what we're cultivating on the inside that strengthens the mind, body, and heart. We could think of it as the soft skills, but the soft skills are really the real skills. You know, it's great that we have technical skills, but when we think about business, it's all about relationship. And so how we thrive in ourselves and thus in relationship, I feel, and in my experience has to do with what we're really cultivating on the inside. So the inner game really rules the outer game. In the work that I've been doing the last decade, I've worked with lots of different folks, individual contributors to CEOs, to senior managers and leaders. And what I have noticed over time is there are certain qualities that these folks possess that I see that they've really cultivated. And so there's so many qualities of the inner game that I could have picked, but I picked six that I talk about in my book and that I've really focused on in my body of work. But Honestly, they're also the inner game qualities that I've really deepened and I really try to practice in myself. And I've had multiple opportunities to go very, very deep with these skills. And so those are self-awareness, emotional intelligence, which really encompasses self-management, social awareness, and therefore relationship mastery. We have resilience, well-being, love, authenticity. And so again, when we cultivate these qualities on the inside, it supports a strong outer game. And the outer game is really how others experience us, you know, in life, the workplace. It supports us in how we make decisions, how we guide, motivate our team, how we align our values in leadership and business. 
and how we actually support more inclusion, vulnerability, and being able to have those difficult conversations in the workplace. That inner game supports that. So when you say difficult conversations in the workplace, it could be where people just don't agree on a project they're working on, kind of like they're working together every day and they just don't see eye to eye with each other. How does that play and how do you use these six steps? Okay, so there's so many things that can create difficulty in the workplace, right? But normally, and I wouldn't even say the workplace, let's just say anywhere, because let's just face it, as human beings, we are messy. We have very sensitive nervous systems, regardless of the pandemic, you know, depending on how people react to stress and challenges and obstacles, they're either going to show up with greater patience and responsiveness, or they are going to be reactive. And so that reactivity will create difficulties in relationship. You know, is this person triggering me or are they bringing something up that is causing me to get defensive or to mask how I really feel? I mean, there's so many complexities around what creates these difficult encounters and or conversations. If people, again, don't have the inner gain qualities of self-awareness, let's say self-management, being able to notice, oh, I feel triggered right now. And guess what? This is on me. They're not doing anything. This is my thing. This is my wound. This is my projection, my story. How can I actually be with that in myself so that I can take a pause and say, you know what? This is not the right time to talk right now. I need to kind of shake this off or to really take responsibility or even apologize. You know what? I just lost my head right there. I just blamed you for something that you didn't even do. It wasn't your fault. So does that answer your question? Yeah, that sure does. And I think that kind of goes to your self-awareness, right? Sort of this idea Mm -hmm. of knowing enough and have enough compassion for yourself to be able to realize that a lot of what you say or do about someone else is really about you. Yeah, definitely. How do you specifically teach these skills? If you were to break one of these skills down, how would you teach it? There's so many ways, you know, and on all of this is really outlined in my book. There's very practical suggestions and practices for how you might, but which one would you like me to break down? So why don't you break down love? Because that's something you don't always think about in the workplace. That's a good point. I really focus on love because, and I was actually just talking to a colleague of mine. I'm doing these community events for my book launch. And one of my colleagues and friends, I would call him, his name is Vince Gugliametti. He's a senior vice president at Intel, and he is a very strong male ally in my life, but also in the world. And in the panel that we had, a few weeks ago on the important role of men being allies to create more inclusion and belonging, he was relaying to all of us that he tells his team members that he loves them. And what a beautiful thing, right? How vulnerable. And he says, if there isn't love amongst team members and at work, then how are we getting along? Why would they even want to be working for this team or, you know, having my back? And so going back to what you were asking. Again, all of these start with self. 
So you have to direct any of these practices towards yourself first in order to really put it out into the workplace and into the world. And so with love in the book and even the way that I teach it, I kind of break it down into a couple components. There's self-love, there's self-compassion, and there's self-forgiveness. Those three, I think, are the inner game of love. So if I have self-love, right, if something difficult happened to me or I had a difficult encounter and I have these every day, all day long, as many of us do, right? I can say, ouch, or that hurts, or this is difficult. And I can place a hand on my heart or my belly, or I can just notice that I'm having some difficulty and I can be really loving in my thoughts and my actions towards myself and pause and give myself a little time to feel and be with that. And so when we have loving kindness towards ourselves, that then actually transcends into compassion where I can be with the difficulty of myself, just accepting it. I don't need to fix it. I'm just being with it. And then that allows me to maybe be more forgiving to any way that I showed up in that moment. But then that transcends to being more loving towards the other because they're messy too. They're having difficulties too. I have no idea what's going on for that person. I can actually see them with greater positive intent. I can have more compassion for their reaction. I can be more forgiving. And we need so much more of that. Again, the more that I meet myself with love, the more I can be more loving to everyone else. Because the truth is, is that no one is going to be able to really show up for us in the ways that we really need. All the time or even some of the time. But if I can be that for myself, and honestly, I had a situation that happened yesterday that kind of knocked the wind out of my sails a bit. And I won't go into all the details, but I felt alarm. I felt shock. I felt disappointment. I felt abandoned, frankly, in this time of need by this other person. And it really kind of came out of nowhere. And I recognized, oh, they're triggered. They can't talk to me about this. I expressed, you know, how I felt. It took a little time to be really loving and kind to myself in the midst of this. I looked to see where's there any way that I communicated there was language that might have been misunderstood, that was misconstrued, that created this trigger. And then I saw, okay, maybe. And that wasn't my intent. I didn't hear back from this person after a few hours. And I just emailed again. I took responsibility for where I could, apologized, and then invited a repair conversation and said, you know, I'm aware there's something that I'm doing or not doing that is creating some trigger, some ouch, maybe opening up some old wound. Like I just, I just went for the directness of it. And I'm really open to hearing, creating new agreements. So we can figure out a shared path forward, or we can just discontinue this relationship harmoniously. I'd really love to set up a time to talk tomorrow, tomorrow being today, so that this doesn't fester into a wound that will require more healing. Because that's what happens in relationship. Like when there's a severing or a miscommunication or a misunderstanding, whenever 
we have that breaking communication, we can create all these narratives because all of us want secure connection attachment. The more space that we have when we're not in repair, when we're not in forgiveness, when we don't understand, we don't have shared agreement, that creates a wound of resentment or whatnot. It's harder to heal. It's harder to come back together. It's harder to bridge the gap. That is a real practice of what I did in the moment. And I have love and compassion and forgiveness for this person. They're clearly going through something. I've done everything on my end to try to create the bridge. This person hasn't reached out to me yet. I'm also like, you know, I need someone to fill the space in my life because it's a pretty pivotal role at this moment in time. And if this person can't show up and I have to actually keep kind of taking care of this person in this way, then it's not the right fit. So I reached out to my network, one of my closer friends and colleagues and just said, Hey, I'm in need of this person. This just happened. Do you have anyone in your network? And that's me just showing up for myself so that I'm not left holding something that's too much for me. That's again, self-love for myself. If our paths are not meant to stay in connection and in this relating, then I just trust something better is on its way and she'll be taken care of and I'll be taken care of. But that comes from just a lot of self-love and then other love, I would say. That makes so much sense and is very applicable to a situation that we've been going through as well. Yeah. So that was super helpful. But it sounds like those kinds of situations are pretty universal. Those kinds of things happen all the time and really, really helpful. I went into it in that detail because I had an intuition based <laughs> on what we talked about before the call that maybe that would support you both. And hopefully your listeners and community. Oh, I think so. So let's talk about female empowerment, because I know that's a big part of your being and a big part of your platform. What advice do you have for women in the workplace, especially with so many women having been displaced as a result of COVID? And how do you empower those women? I like to empower all folks, you know, men and women, but being a woman identifying. I use, you know, the pronouns of she and her, and also just really seeing what has happened in the midst of the pandemic and the statistics of how many women had to leave the workforce because of caregiving responsibilities. It honestly enrages me and breaks my heart at the same time, because the only way we are going to create a workplace in a world that works for everyone is by getting more women, more people of color, more marginalized folks and groups in senior leadership and at the top, because we need everybody at the table, so to speak, to make these decisions. Because again, that's the only way that it will really be equitable for everyone. And so just to give some stats, in the midst of 2020, you know, it's hard to kind of figure out what's accurate. I've seen a couple different numbers in different places, but I would say approximately 2.5 to 3 million women left the workforce. The one other thing to note is that 5% of CEOs in the U.S. are women, only 5%. The other thing is 39% of businesses in the U.S. only earn 4% of the revenue. And most women-owned businesses 
90% of them, in fact, never reach 100,000 a year. So there is a huge pay gap. There is a representation problem. And because of, let's just name it, the patriarchy, which is real and very much ingrained in business and in our world, there's a lot of factors that I feel make it harder and more challenging for women to, one, get the same earnings as men identifying, to have the same leverage and opportunity and social capital, and to also feel confident enough to really own their worth and their voice because of just so many things that have happened from the Me Too movement to we could even just really name domestic violence. One out of four women in the United States have experienced domestic violence in their life. And that number went up really high in 2020 because of all the women that were already in unfortunate relationships. There's more stress. They're having to stay at home. There's a lot that women are navigating. That's for sure. Now talk about men and how can they support women? I would actually really encourage folks to go to my podcast. I have one too, because our last community event was on this topic, the important role of men being allies to create inclusion and belonging. It really talks in detail about how these four men in particular are showing up at work, but also in the world sponsoring women, using their social capital, challenging men that are showing up not in a conscious or inclusive way, calling out because you can't always call in, you know, acts of exclusion and whatnot. So they talk in detail about how they're doing it, how they've actually grown that commitment of allyship in themselves. But I think it requires men challenging men And cultivating that inner game to be willing to do that, this conscious and inclusive inner game. But it also requires women. Women, when we think about it historically, you know, we look at like hunter gatherers, we have a lot more power than we're actually owning. When we think about how it all came to be, you know, back in the day when we were hunter gatherers, Women would send men out into the woods and go get food and bring it back to our villages. And women would often say, that's enough food or that's too much food. So I think there's this really important role that we have in saying no, saying no, this is not okay, or this is too much, or this needs to stop. And then enrolling men, identifying into a different version of manhood and masculinity that honestly invites them to bring their whole selves, which means we have to be willing to allow men to show the maybe so-called weaker emotions that typically have not been encouraged. Because if we don't, then we're just going to see these aggressive types of behaviors that are coming out. Just like women have feelings of anger and disappointment and fear and sadness, so do men. And the more that we can invite them to bring that in, then we have a more balanced masculine and feminine that we're integrating in all of the genders. And that supports us to 
lead from our wholeness. But it sounds like you're asking for more like specific actions of how do we enroll men. But I want to pause there because I just said a lot. What's the impact of that on the both of you? Love to hear. I think it's awesome that, again, you know, when women have conversations, we have these conversations. But what you're doing is you're saying, let's include the men in our conversations because it's really important because we all are here together and we need each other's support. And right now we do. We need men to sort of recognize that women need that extra support right now. And that I think I said this to you, Carly, when we were talking before that both Dora and I have two sons and they were both raised, obviously, by their mothers who were working mothers. <laughs> and yeah. then they both have two sisters who are working sisters, who are working sisters and career sisters. So they kind of see they're in the front line to see the importance of supporting women. And they see their sisters as really strong individuals, you know. I don't know why I'm saying that, but that was sort of how it landed on me was saying that, you know, I hope our sons step up, you know, not just for their sisters, but then other women to really recognize the value that the women have in the workplace. Beautiful. Dora, what do you think? I agree with that. And I think in a world where we talk about women breaking the glass ceiling and some integration with men and women maybe might help the women break the glass ceiling. So I feel like having some way to weave men and women under one umbrella is, I think, beneficial. So one of the things that Trisha's son, Riley, who is a very progressive man <laughs> and is very supportive of women, but one of the things he learned when he worked for Marriott was to have a New York conversation. So Trisha came and described to me what a New York conversation was. Trisha, what is it? Yeah, it's where, you know, you really take the moment. And I think you talk about this a lot, Carly, too, when you talk about brave exchanges, where you actually just address it, you know, and say, can I have a New York conversation or can I have a brave exchange with you? Which means I'm stepping out and I'm framing this in a context that is honest. And I, you know, I would normally not do this, but it's an honest way that we can keep our relationship open. So tell us about brave exchanges. A brave exchange is really our willingness to be direct, but from a place of love and truth. Because if we're just being candid and the intention isn't coming from love or wholesomeness, it usually doesn't have a positive impact or effect on the other. No, I think that's exactly right. And I think, too, being able to say the words, can we have a brave exchange sort of sets the tone, just like the New York conversations, you know, sets a tone that this is coming from a place of love or wholeness. Going back to the topic of male allyship, because I realized, you know, I didn't give you specific steps. But when we think about a brave exchange, that means that we're willing to speak up when there's discomfort, when there's conflict, whether it's being a women identifying person or a man identifying or non-binary, we're willing to say that actually felt exclusionary or you just talked over Karen and I really wanted to hear what she had to say. We're using our privilege, we're using our voices for good so that we prevent the hurt and the harm, whether it's conscious or it's unconscious. And that feels like an act of love when we go back to the inner game of love. 
right? Because you're investing and you're really like you're putting yourself in there, which is a form of love. So I guess, you know, it also brings up the whole issue of setting boundaries. Can you talk about the full body yeses and recognizing a full body yes and a full body no? Can you just talk briefly about that? Let's imagine that something happened in the last day or week that created some discomfort that pushed a boundary for you. You felt disrespected. You felt disappointed. Maybe there was an agreement that was broken. So just notice how you're feeling inside. What are the physical sensations? Maybe tension, maybe tightness, noticing where that is in the body. And not everybody has a lot of body awareness. So if you don't know where that is, as you're listening, that's okay too. You know, just give yourself time and space. But you might also be aware of as I'm reflecting on this situation, this experience, I'm aware of my feelings and see if you can just name those feelings, frustration, impatience, rage, anger. So I bring in all of that because this is going to the full body. So there might be a full body. No, ouch, no more of that. No, thank you. And so we have to be able to really tune into the body because the body is actually our greatest compass for that inner wisdom. I would say actually the body and the heart are so much more powerful than the mind because I am a research nerd and I've studied a lot of neuroscience. I know that the mind has a lot of narrative and it tends to be untrue. And if it's unchecked, it's usually more fear-based. So when we think again about the inner game of love, we want to check our story. We want to check our narrative and to say, is this really true? Or is this just fear leading the way? And the opposite of fear is love. So like, what would love do? What would love say? When we think about a boundary being broken, the signal that a boundary has been crossed is when we feel tight or tension in the body. When we're aware that there is frustration or anger or rage, anger is a really important emotion for us all to feel and honor because it shows us that a boundary has been violated or pushed or broken. You can even feel anger. Like for me, when I feel anger, when I'm aware there's a boundary, I literally like have a boundary around my physical body. There is a pushing away. If you get into that energy, there is a no. And that requires a pause. And so that I don't break the boundary of another, when my boundary's been broken, I don't go, you, right? That requires, again, self-awareness. Ouch. Wow. They just did that. That really doesn't feel good. I feel really pissed off or whatever we want to say in that moment, silently. (laughs) And then to recognize, how can I bring compassion to myself in this moment? Because that really hurt. And again, the more we can bring in that sense of love and understanding and compassion for ourselves, then I can actually be more compassionate in the setting of my boundary, which is to say, hey, what you just did, that didn't feel good. You just broke our agreement. There's clearly something going on. And in the future, this is what I would request. And that person may not be able to hear that. 
And they may not be able to hear it in that moment, or they may be able to hear it later, but it is so important that we say it. This comes back to the brave exchange. It is so important that we speak our truth. We do it from a place of love for ourselves, for the other, because if we don't speak up, nothing will change. That person will continue to break the boundary again and again and again, because they don't know. They're not mind readers. Neither are we. It's important that other people tell us when we've just done something. And that's really when I was giving you that example of what happened yesterday, when I recognized that there was something that I said or I did that clearly put this person in a flight and then kind of a fight response, which is actually how we respond to discomfort, to obstacle, to stress. Fear is the primary emotion. So we can think of fear as the flight response. We're backing up. And then we'll go into the secondary emotion, which is anger. They work in tandem together. You know, fear will go, ah, I'm scared. That didn't feel good. I don't like that. And then anger comes in and goes, I'm going to protect you. You know, (laughs) and that's really what's happening um, in our nervous system and then in our bodies. And so if we can just pay attention to that and be with that then we're able to actually figure out the appropriate response and communicate that so that my needs are being met, my feelings are being acknowledged and seen. And so is the other. And that I really think of as a brave exchange. You know, most people say, I don't like conflict. Well, guess what? Conflict is part of life. Conflict is part of relationship. We can't avoid it. If you want to avoid it, I think you're going to have a lot of suffering. Conflict can be healthy if we have the right tools. And that's, again, where that inner game comes. Carly, you're amazing. And your book is incredible. And everybody needs to read it and shine, ignite your inner game to lead consciously at work and in the world. And you're doing all kinds of things out there in the world. And you're doing community events, right? I am. As part of the virtual book launch, I felt really excited to host some free community events for folks to join. And the community events are actually focused on the essences of the book. We've already had two, we've got three more. And all of the events, by the way, they're actually being rebroadcast on my podcast. So the first one was how to be a conscious and inclusive leader. Every event has myself moderating, but also really incredible thought leaders. And there's always one leader from the book that is also on the panel. So folks get to engage with all of these people live time. And in the book, I actually highlight nine conscious and inclusive leaders who are really prioritizing people and planet, really embodying the skills of the inner game we've been talking about in our call. The last one I've mentioned a couple of times was, you know, the role of male allies in creating inclusion and belonging. Our next one, which is so exciting, is on Wednesday, April 21st, which is on gender equity and the future of work. We have another one that is called Honor the Mother, and it's with my friend and colleague, Erin McMorrow, who is also a Sounds True author. And we talk a lot about how to honor ourselves, honor the planet. And then lastly, how to be a climate optimist, because many of us feel really overwhelmed with all of the climate science coming out, but we all have a part to play. We can all be leaders in this. We all need to be leaders. And so we will be 
talking about how to do that. And the link for these amazing events that I'd love for you all to join is carlyhawk.com slash community dash events. Thank you, Carly. Yes, thank you, Carly. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.